When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and today joined by Chris Woff and Sean McCormick. It is still the international break so we're powering on through. The My United game is just days away though and we're very excited to get back to uh, club football. Um, obviously over the weekend, Chris, there was lots of rumours about the takeover and is it happening and you know, rumours that it is indeed going to happen this week. Um, we'll start with that. What is the latest that you understand? Yeah, my understanding is that it's, it's not necessarily imminent. The talk over the weekend, I think, was premature. But that's not to suggest that anything's necessarily off track. The due diligence is still ongoing between uh, Amanda Staveney, PCP Partners, and Newcastle United. They're still looking at the books, but no official bid as of yet. And for that reason, there isn't necessarily any progress in that regard. But as I've said, that doesn't mean that anything's off. It just, it, 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 as Luke Edwards from The Telegraph tweeted, it negotiations are delicate and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen but it also doesn't mean that nothing, nothing has happened I think some reports are premature that first came out in East Asia and then uh, from one of the national media outlets and um, the Castle fans are still hopeful and we really do need to see progress in the next couple of weeks if that Christmas deadline is going to be met I think that's now looking extremely ambitious um, but hopefully that if there's no hiccups this deal could still happen but at the same time there has to be a bid first before that's going to move forward and we haven't reached that stage yet not sure. We're kind of at the point where it is everything's a bit quiet from, from you know, from each end. But I suppose you know, no news is good news in a way because, like you know, many people have said that these negotiations will take time. And if they are serious and if it is the real thing, then we're not likely to hear anything until a bid is made or even accepted. Well, that's it. Yeah, they've all taken the due diligence period now. So as you say, no news is good news. There's not going to be much coming into the press because things are going to be kept under wraps. Um, if there is good progress being made, we're not likely going to hear about it. When we do hear about it, that's when it's going to be at the stage where things will move quickly and we'll be able to report that the takeover will be taking place and it'll it'll move quite swiftly on from there. But uh, as you say, um, we understand nothing's going on at the moment, so it's just kind of a waiting game. Um, but as you say, once we once once something does happen, we feel that it'll move quite quickly and things will go on swiftly from there. I suppose, Chris, you can kind of understand the frustration from. From the fans and everyone's dreaming of it being over, done and dusted by December and letting Benitez spend whatever cash that Miss Staveley may allow him to have. Um, but I mean, she's the front runner, but do you think there are other players in the background? Well, in terms of first dealing with the fact that, that fans' frustrations, I, I completely understand it. I think that to a certain degree, Mike Ashley made a rod for his own back by saying that he wanted it sorted by Christmas. I mean, that in a way, that was, that was great because it meant fans could have a deadline but at the same time as time ticks away between now and Christmas or between when he first announced at the start of October and Christmas then fans become more and more sceptical as, as to whether it's going to happen you, you, you're almost backing yourself into a corner to try and get it done quickly and with these things that can particularly for a club the size of Newcastle United um, in terms of I don't, I don't necessarily mean a fan base there I mean in terms of actual business size it's going to take a while are there other interested parties well certainly from Mike Ashley's side that would like you to believe that there are and there have been other interested parties but I think that Amanda Staveley and PCP partners are very much the front runners uh, they're the ones who've shown the most interest and the most willingness to try and get something sorted as I've said before the Christmas deadline now is, is looking extremely ambitious unless uh, a price could be agreed quickly which it seems that, that her group value Newcastle United around £300 million he values it closer to £400 million, so unless there's as due diligence is going on, unless I've been talking about a potential compromise price, which would be difficult considering uh, due diligence as part of the, the process to come to an eventual asking price, I think that we probably are probably talking early next year now rather than than Christmas. But that's with these things that can develop quickly at Man City. Uh, the club was bought basically before due diligence was completed and money was put in to sign Robinho and then the deal was completed a few weeks later. So I suppose in theory Newcastle could have a situation like that but it's going to 
Amanda Stavely and PCP Partners are looking to most likely to take it over at this moment in time. But as I say, we are waiting that bid, and until that bid comes in, then we are still just playing the waiting game. But you still expect it to, to happen? That's your, your personal opinion? You expect that it is, it is going to happen? Or are you hopeful, shall we say? I'm hopeful, yeah. I, I was pushed by Mark Douglas on a Facebook Live a few weeks ago to give an answer either way, and I said by the end of the season, I'd like to think that Newcastle United would be taken over. I'm still in that camp, and I still think there are positive noises, but the, these are delicate negotiations. Any big deal like this are de- is, will be delicate, and with someone like Mike Ashley, who's so unpredictable, I mean, I'm led to believe that a few years ago he, he was close to potentially having an interested party there was negotiations ongoing this was a few years ago and basically at the last minute he, he changed the goalposts so we have to hope that the same situation doesn't arise again um, and that he is genuine in his want to sell in the short term and to hopefully get someone in so that Rafa Benitez has a decent pot of money to spend and improve this squad in January Definitely obviously looking at January and the transfer um, targets I suppose Sean if you know Stavely or another you know, indeed, new and it doesn't come in, and that obviously impacts on the budget that Benitez has to spend. I mean, knowing Benitez, he'll be planning for that, though, won't he? Yeah, well, I think we wrote a story last week saying that Benitez had made two separate plans: one catering for a takeover, one not. Um, and you were talking about fans' frustrations and worries there. The worry is that if the takeover doesn't come to happen before the January window, which is looking more and more likely um, as time goes on, then. Clearly, Newcastle need a striker. Newcastle need a number ten. That's the that's the the main issue this season, hasn't it? It's been scoring goals, and the fans are worried that if it's still Mike Ashley that's funding the club, then will Benitez have the sufficient funds to improve the squad? You look who we brought in this summer, Hossel, who he hasn't really, where well, he hasn't set the world alight so far. He scored two goals, but he's missed a ton of chances. There's been frustration there. Um, and Perez, he's, he's played well. He's 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 he's, he's he worked hard for the team, but his output in terms of goals scored and creating and creating goals isn't good. It hasn't been to the level that Newcastle fans want and what the need really. It showed in the last two games with Burnley and Bournemouth that it was a real struggle. And if, as I say, if Ashley is still in charge of the club, then then that that will be a real worry for fans. That yes, they probably will bring in players, but will they be of sufficient quality that's going to improve the side? And that's going to be the main concern. Definitely, I totally understand where we but all in all, a positive outlook, Chris, we think, and we'll keep bringing you, obviously, all the latest news, and hopefully, eventually, maybe by uh, the new year, we'll have some, uh, might have a new owner in charge of Newcastle. We'll move on um, to the other talking point of the week, which is John Joe Shelby and England. I think it was you two guys who, the last time we had it on the podcast, who briefly discussed whether Shelby deserves to be in the England squad. Um, the debate hasn't gone away, especially after the likes of uh, Jay Livermore featured last week and we've had um, the Burnley midfielder Jack Cork. Jack Cork called up. And, you know, it is an interesting debate. Personally, right now, at this point, I don't think Shelby deserves to be in the squad. I think he's got to get his head down and work a little bit harder and prove his game a bit more. You know, he's got to maybe put a few more goals into it. But it is a, it is a debate that has to be had. It is a debate that has to be had. I mean... Shelby himself was quite philosophical about it when he was asked uh, at the 125th anniversary foundation dinner last week he said look I've voiced my concerns in the past about the way the England squad is decided and for now my focus has got to be on Newcastle United and I think I'd agree with you in the sense that he's only played I think it's six or seven started six or seven Premier League games so far this season after his suspension the first game and he's starting to get back up to speed but He's still not dominating games in necessarily the way he can and should be. But I thought that Gareth Southgate's comments as to why Shelby wasn't in the squad were a bit strange, saying that they're looking for a different type of player, not a quarterback style. But Shelby would add something to any squad. I think he would be something different necessarily to some of the, the midfield options. And Jack Cork, as well as he's playing for, for Burnley, do we? does anyone really see him excelling on the international scene? I think he's a... He's a decent enough midfielder but I don't think he's necessarily of international quality someone who's going to change the course of a game that's what Shelby could potentially do he has the ability to unlock defences with his passing range and his vision um, and for him he's just got to concentrate on playing well for his club and I suppose that he might look at his sense of well I'm always going to be behind the people who are already in the system by that I mean people who players who've played under Southgate in the past he's promoting a lot from within which to a certain degree should be lauded 
That's correct, and he's going, he's, he's he's doing what most managers do. They revert to type, they revert to what they know. Benitez did the same in the summer when he couldn't get the signs he wanted. The vast majority of the players he signed were, were Spanish-speaking because he knew that he could communicate to them quickly and he'd be able to deal with them. Gareth Southgate's done something similar, but as Sean wrote in a piece this week, there's um, there's a quite worrying statistic that, that nine players uh, England qualified under the age of 23 who've played 301 minutes so far this season uh, haven't been called up the England squad and one of them is Isaac Hayden and all nine of them feature for teams who are outside of, of the so-called big six so I think there needs to be a bit looked at there and Southgate as I said was certainly said to be loaded but I also think he needs to be looking more at clubs like Newcastle United because Lascelles hasn't been called up uh, Shelby hasn't been called up Hayden hasn't been called up now you can argue the toss as to whether any of them deserve to be called up but I think you can also argue the same for a lot of the players who have indeed found themselves in the England squad both straight at the bant as well, isn't it? It's, it? As you say, people have rightly lauded Southgate for promoting from within. If you, you look at the, the summer of the England youth teams have had, the 21s got the semis of the Euros, the 19s won the Euros, the 20s won the World Cup, 17s won the World Cup. Um, we've, we've said for years, haven't we, that once that youth system comes in place, it's a case of replicating the German model, the Spanish model, where they promote players from within. But you look at the likes of this week, I know it's a different position, but he's called up Dominic Solanke, he had a score Premier League goal, I believe. Mm, no, I don't think he has, no. That he shouldn't be in the England squad, and he could even possibly come on tonight. Um, and I think that, that that's wrong to a sense, whereas, I mean, he called up Jack Cork, that's got to be a bit of a, a blow to Shelby, but also looking at it from within, you see he hasn't really proved himself yet. It's a long time between now and the March Internationals, when's mm. the next time he's going to have a chance to get called up? It's a lot of time for Shelby to prove himself. A lot can change in that time. As you see, he's got to keep getting his head down, knuckle down and performing for Newcastle. And if he performs over that sustained period of time, you're talking five months then, there really shouldn't be an issue with Southgate calling up the squad, you'd imagine. But is it a case that in an ideal world, um, you wouldn't have Lascelles nor Shelby in an England squad that wants to win the World Cup, for example, if, you know, because of the standard of play, we look at likes of the players at Germany or you know say France for instance have got Shelby on top of his game is he as good as the likes of you know Pogba or you know the, the German players at the top of their game possibly not well certainly not in terms of when they're on the very top of their game but at the same time you've got to, you can have a 23 man squad going to the World Cup and not every single player in teams who've won the World Cup in the past have necessarily been what you describe as, as world class players you've got to have a balance of what you need in the team and what Shelby does allow, would allow is for any players potentially world class players who and I suppose the only one you can really say in the England squad who would be pushing that sort of boundary is Harry Kane at the moment yeah. and John Joe Shelby could be the man who could supply him with the crosses and the through balls and whatnot to make sure that he was to excel at the World Cup and you need players like that and Look, as, as I've said, and as Sean's just reiterated, he needs he needs to be playing consistently well over a longer period of time. But um, if he does, then I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be going to the World Cup next year. He, if, if John Joe Shelby is playing the very top of his game between now and March and now and next summer, I think he is in the top 23 players in England in terms of midfield-wise. I don't see anyone who offers what he does as well as he does in the England setup at the moment. Jamal Lascelles, I suppose, is a bit of a different argument, but at the same time, if he plays as well as he has done for the first part of this season throughout the whole of the campaign, England aren't exactly blessed with lots of centre-backs. Um, some of them who were in there over the last few years, I think it will be questionable as to how much game time they necessarily should have had. And he's someone who can play in a few different systems. He could play in three at the back because he's, he's got a good left foot. He is reasonably mobile. He can play at 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1, because that's what he plays every week. And I, I think that he, he's running out of time now, really, for the World Cup, because there's only the two games in uh, March, and he's not proven it at, at full national level. John Joe Shelby's got six caps to his name. It's not loads, but Southgate has seen him in the past and knows what he's capable of. And I think between now and the end of the season, if Shelby cements his place in the Newcastle team, leads Newcastle to, to relative safety in the middle of the table then he could really be in consideration come the summer Do you think there's one or maybe more elements of his game that Shelby needs to improve so I said before for me it would be adding a few more goals to his game do you think there's, there's things he can improve on? Certainly needs to score more goals um, I think with the England system as well they keep the ball a lot don't they they like to play in the short yeah. in the changing passes and Shelby it's, it's not a negative thing it's a positive thing we've learned it before that 
he looks for the killer pass. He's not scared to play the killer pass. He's not scared to make that mistake. Um, he's going to start for England. He's going to have to play a lot more, like keeping the ball and not looking to penetrate as much. And I don't think that will suit him. What what we would say is is that if you put him in the squad and you bring him on to change a game, he has got that ability. Um, you look at the ball he played at Liverpool. One criticism like probably probably doesn't do it enough for the ability he has, but. You look, you look at the other night in England, they looked very solid against Germany. Jordan Pickham made a couple of good saves in the first half, but aside from, aside from that, they didn't really look troubled. They've got the basis of a good squad there, but they seem to lack that killer, that killer pass, that killer instinct at times. Shelby could possibly provide that, unlock that. You got As Chris was saying before, you've got Harry Kane, you've got a world-class striker there behind him. You've got likes of Ali, Sterling, Rashford, all capable of scoring goals. You feel that at England, they're slightly restricted at times. Shelby might unleash that kind of attacking potential and I think that's what he would offer to the, offer to the squad um, he does need to score more goals but I think if he was playing for England he wouldn't necessarily have to do it that much it would be a case of unleashing the potential of others and also in terms of when Sean says about bringing something different into a team if you had Shelby on the bench this is what I didn't understand about Southgate's reason for not having Shelby in the squad Southgate can pick whoever he wants but the, the reason for saying oh he's a quarterback style player or looking for someone different well actually when England couldn't unlock Germany the other day as well as they played in other matches like that, when you need to change it, when you need something a bit different, he is someone you can bring in and it's going to change the style a little bit. England are going to come up against teams uh, at the World Cup, the likelihood is, who are just going to sit back against them. They've, they've found this the, the last couple of World Cups. And if they do have that, they're going to have to change style in some way. And Shelby is someone who potentially could offer something a bit different, play that killer through ball. And that's why I, just, I, thought, I thought it was strange reasoning but at the same time, as I said, he, he's perfectly within his rights to pick what he thinks is, is his best 23-man squad. And if he doesn't think Shelby's in that at the moment, all Shelby can do is exactly what he says he's going to do and focus on Newcastle United. And sticking with England, um, Angus Gunn called up. I think he's a Man City player on loan at Norwich. Um, young keeper. And a good, a good question, actually, on Twitter about where this leaves Freddie Woodman. Obviously, Angus Gunn's gone out to get first-team football. Um, and Ryan Ross asks, you know, does this mean Woodman has to now follow suit and go out there, get first team football? Because sitting on the bench at Newcastle is probably doing him, you know, no good at all. Oh, he's not even sitting on the bench at the moment. I mean, he's he's third choice behind even uh, Carl Darlow. He didn't get. We, a lot of us expected that he might get some game time in the the Carabao, Carabao Cup. Who knows if Newcastle had got further? Maybe he would have done, but he didn't play in that original game. He's only on the bench. He's yet to play first team football at Newcastle. And I think it is. He does definitely need to go out on loan because he's, he's already experienced that at Crawley and Kilmarnock in the past. He's someone who has a big reputation. Won the World Cup with the the under twenties in the summer. Performed extremely well. Made a very good save in the final. Um, and he's rightly frustrated in the situation he's in. But if Benitez had got the goalkeeper he wanted in the summer, then Freddie Woodman could well have, have gone out. The goalkeeper situation was strange. Would Carl Darlow end up staying when he really wanted? He really would have quite happily sent him out somewhere else to bring in another goalkeeper. Freddie Woodman stayed when really he probably would have preferred to send him out on loan. I think that come January, it is time that, that Woodman did go out on loan because Newcastle have made the mistake with people like Fraser Forster in the past of, of, of not giving them uh, enough of a pathway towards the first team. And he's, he's clearly a very, very talented goalkeeper I think it'd be too much of a risk to play him in the Premier League without having maybe he's made the step up to the Championship and I think that that's the sort of level of club he should be looking to hopefully go out on loan to the only issue is that in January unless teams have injuries it's a very difficult time to, to send a goalkeeper out on loan to expect them to get game time unless a goalkeeper as I say is injured or isn't playing particularly well but Newcastle have to be looking round and if, even if that is sending back to Scotland somewhere or maybe even to somewhere in Europe to look to get him some game time because it's essential that, that he, he he does start experiencing first-team football again. Did he have offers? in? Some Very much so. There were a lot of offers. I know that uh, there was a lot of League One clubs in particular interested in him, a few lower championship clubs, and also plenty of interest in Scotland. Kamarnock definitely wanted him back. Um, and so there, 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 were a lot, there was a lot of interest in them this summer, and hopefully at least some of that interest remains. I'll, I'll just to make a point there as well. Like they've kind of swapped rules. Uh, Woodman and Gunn. Uh, Woodman made the step up to the under twenty ones permanently this summer, but he actually started that started the season as under twenty ones number one. Um, Gunn was Gunn was ahead of them in the system going into the summer. He was part of the under twenty one squad, but now he's had that game time on loan. He's kind of overtaken Woodman, and it has harmed his international chances. Um, you'd like to think he goes on loan in January because he's a fantastic goalkeeper. And, his potential remains untapped the more and more he sits and on the bench or he plays for the under-23s because 
clearly he's, he's a young goalkeeper, but he's above the under-23 level. He shouldn't be wasting his time there, really. Um, and Angus Gunn's been fantastic for Norwich. Man City have loaned him out there, and he's reaping the rewards. He's still rotating women as number 21s number uh, keeper. Um, he's clearly highly rated, so if he does get that game time, there's no reason why he can't then overtake Gunn in the pecking order because he did start the season ahead of him. So and it's also the fact that if he did go out on loan and played well, you'd hope that well, long term Newcastle do see him as a number one, and he'd come back here and start be pushing for that position as well. And the thing, there's not much over the last couple of years you can say that Sunderland did very well, but their development of Jordan Pickford was exactly what he needed. He went on loan to Preston, played regularly, played very well, and eventually came back, got his opportunity. Yes, they ended up selling them with some other, for a thirty odd million pounds for, for a goalkeeper they brought themselves was, was excellent money, and now he's he's made his debut for England the first team, and he's still a young age. He's only a few years further on the Woodman, so I think it's time that certainly, if not in January, then certainly next summer, Woodman has to be sent out on loan to a Championship club. Great minds think like because that's exactly the point I was just about to make as well. Um, apologies for the keys there in the background. Um, there is a bit of work going on here, so long as I don't get like the you might drill out, we should be all right. Um, moving on to Chris's favourite subject in all of football, I can see the sheer delight in his face. It is like Christmas morning. It is Alexander Mitrovic. Um, last week's podcast we covered it in quite a bit of detail, so we won't go into too much detail here. Um, but obviously scored against China it was China and I've heard you say this as well as many others it was China but a goal in an international game was a, a decent header that'll be a confidence boost for him it is a confidence boost for him and his record for Serbia over the last 12-18 months is, is, is pretty good um, he's helped them qualify for the World Cup top of their group um, scored some important goals but yeah, well, it, was for, it was for China he didn't play today when they played against South Korea but that wasn't because he was dropped or injured that was mainly because they were, they were trying other options with it being a friendly and with them already qualified for the World Cup um, is one goal for China going to alter Rafa Benitez against China sorry going to alter Rafa Benitez's view on Mitrovic I highly highly doubt it is he likely to start at Old Trafford nah, highly highly doubt it as well for a start um, he's been halfway around the world to play in China and South Korea and Benitez often Rests players who've been that long a distance. Yedlin sometimes gets left out. Atsu got left out early in the season where he'd been on a reasonable length journey. And I think even if he hadn't been, he's not gonna he's not gonna start ahead of Hosselu and Gale. I think it's gonna be one of those two up front. Um, and Mitrovic might find himself on the bench. But for now, I just think that, that the reality is that Rafa Benitez will sell in January if there is an alternative someone who's brought in if, if Newcastle get a decent offer and if Rafa Benitez is able to bring in a striker Alexander Mitrovic will be allowed to leave in January as he would have been allowed to leave at each of the last three windows and to be perfectly honest just to end the debate if nothing else I'd be quite happy if that did happen because we're going to this is the I wrote a column at the weekend and the issue between the way Rafa views Mitrovic it's going to remain the same no matter how long Alexander Mitrovic is at Newcastle. So no matter what, what anyone from above might think of, we spent £13 million on Mitrovic, he's still only 23. It, it, to, a, to a large degree, it's almost a moot point. It doesn't matter what fans think. Rafa Benitez hasn't changed his opinion on him in, in nearly two years of being here. He's not going to change his opinion going forward. And so I think that for the, for the sake of everyone, including Mitrovic himself, to go out and really start playing regularly at the age that he is, someone who does have a lot of potential but clearly Benitez for whatever reason doesn't see it being at Newcastle United I think that it's in his interest to be sold and for Newcastle to bring in a striker who Benitez is willing to turn to and I think that the fact that he didn't bring him on against Bournemouth albeit there was a couple of injuries which restricted his ability to make substitutions shows exactly what he thinks of Mitrovic So just to be clear you're not a fan of Mitrovic It's not, it's not that I'm not a fan I, I, I don't think necessarily as good as some fans think he is but at the same time I do recognise that there is a, there is potential there there is a player there who could score goals and create havoc really when he comes on the pitch on occasion but I don't see him being Newcastle United's regular centre forward under Rafa Benitez and I think even Mitrovic's biggest fans among Newcastle United supporters if he offered them the chance of, of Rafa Benitez long term or Alexander Mitrovic's striker long term they'd take Rafa Benitez and so I think that in that sense he needs to be backed allowed another striker to be brought in and Mitrovic to leave Sean briefly just for Chris's sanity because we don't <laughs> want to go on too long but your opinion on the whole Mitrovic scenario 
I, I echo what Chris says. I, I understand the fans' frustrations, and you, you can kind of back it up with some sort of statistics in terms of the Premier League, particularly against the big teams. He tends to score goals, but as Chris says, Rafa Benitez's opinion isn't going to change. It's not going. To, it's not going to move, and unless there's an injury to one of, if not both, Dwight Gale and Hostley between now and January. I can't see Mitrovic getting an opportunity to prove himself. It, it's unfortunate because there's a clear rapport between him and the fans. There is potential there. But as Chris says, if you're going to choose between the pair, you're going to choose Rafa Benitez every day of the week. But just to play Daryl's advocate, and that's all it is, by the way, if anyone who is listening, what is the difference between, for instance, John Joe Shelvin, what happened against Wolves, what happened against Spurs, acting out, letting the side down, and what Mitrovic has done, you know, what the same amount of times, maybe one more, he's acted out a few more times, so not by much. So how come Benitez has gone, well, do you know what, I will give John Joe another try, but Mitrovic, it's, it's just not going to happen. There's, when, when we talk about trust with, with Alexander Mitrovic and Benitez's lack of trust in him, it's not just in terms of discipline, although that is a large part of it. Uh, he's made the same mistakes you can argue that Shelby's made the same mistakes over and over again but each of them been slightly different each time and he is someone who's been subjected to abuse not that that defends anything that he's done but with it's also the the faith that Mitrovic is going to follow a specific game plan something specific that he asked him to do in a match but he has a meticulous set pieces uh, style of play what he wants a striker to do all these sorts of things positions he wants him to take up and it, he has that with every single player and if he asks Hossolu to do that job he believes he's going to go and do it he asks Mitrovic to do it he isn't sure what he's going to get from him and a large part of the time he doesn't necessarily do what he wants him to do so it, and it's also with with a manager and a player sometimes they're just you just don't fancy a player you just don't he's just not your style of player and Alexander Mitrovic quite clearly isn't Benitez's uh, first choice for a striker he didn't sign him in the first place even Steve McLaren wasn't convinced by him. It wasn't Steve McLaren saying he was the signing from Graham Carr who pushed him. Um, someone who Newcastle themselves, even the hierarchy, had their reservations about. Did a lot of checks on him, um, and for that for that reason, it's just he's he's never going to be a Rafa Benitez style player. No matter how many goals he comes at the team and scores, no matter how well certain people think he's going to play, Benitez believes Hosselu's doing a good job other than putting the ball in the back of the net and he, he sees Dwight Gale now as his second choice um, and I think that the, I think what annoyed Benitez early in the season was he'd given Mitrovic uh, a bit of a boost by making him second choice striker ahead of Dwight Gale and then he did let him down discipline wise when he came on and did something absolutely off the ball which was just brainless I still don't understand why he did it and you can argue whatever he wants in the press as he did in Serbia that he doesn't know why he was sent off well it was obvious why he was sent off and for, the, for those reasons and more Benitez just doesn't trust him and I don't think is ever likely to one man who is uh, Rafa Benitez kind of players Fernando Torres um, Frankie Durham on Facebook asks um, if a takeover happens should Newcastle go for Fernando Torres Bastos or Andy Carroll I'm going to say that I don't think either, any of them three will happen but Chris I mean the, the Fernando Torres link is an interesting one it is an interesting one I mean it was the same last January um, it was quite funny because Benitez came into one press conference after it first came out obviously Newcastle were a championship team at the time albeit top of the the championship and he, he made a joke before the press conference started that he just got off the phone from uh, from Fernando Torres because that's what he sometimes does he, sometimes, he, he treats some of these rumours with, with humour um, but the, 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 the Torres link is interesting to the extent that it shows the, the value of having Rafa Benitez as manager, not just beyond the fact that he's a very world-class coach, also the list of contacts he has, the ability he has to be able to, to to speak to sporting directors and agents and players around Europe, both those who he's managed in the past, such as Torres, but also those he hasn't, but who he's tried to sign in the past, like Stefan Jovetic, who, when that name was first put to me in the summer that Newcastle wanted him, I was very I was taken aback and thought, how how is that possible? But Rafa Benitez firmly believed it was possible and he spoke to people in Milan where he thought it could have happened. He spoke to Jovetic's representatives and believed it could have happened, but for whatever reason it wasn't backed up and they didn't sign him. So do I expect Fernando Torres to be a Newcastle player come the end of January? No, I don't. Um, do I think there is genuine interest from Newcastle at this stage, given his age, the fact that his 
ability seems to have waned a little bit. He's lost that yard of pace, which I know is what Rafa Benitez really thought was his main strength when he was at Liverpool. Um, and the fact that he'd be on big wages, I don't think he would necessarily be the answer, even if Newcastle did have the funds to go for it, should a takeover happen. Um, Andy Carroll, slightly more interesting. I mean, I know that Rafa Benitez is a long-term admirer, as there's naturally are people within Newcastle, given that he came up through the system. But his injury record... Um, is certainly going to be something they'll have to look at and again significant wages he seems settled down there although the opportunity to return home depending on how David Moyes views him going forward but again I don't see that one in January Bastost long term link someone else who Newcastle have been long term admirers of going to be a heck of a lot of money so it would certainly need a, a takeover to happen Um but I, I would I would be surprised if any of those three were Newcastle players come the end of January, even if a takeover happens. I think that the likelihood is they're, they're looking at elsewhere. Danny Ings has been mentioned again, a potential loan. Cheng Tosson, someone they've looked at long term. The Villarreal striker, whose name escapes me, is also someone they've looked at. Cedric Bakambu. Um Players of, of that sort of ilk, I think. <coughs> even even Jovetic, they could potentially try and go back in for if possible. He doesn't seem to be happy at Monaco. Um, so I think that they're they're the more likely sort of names, but Newcastle certainly need a striker in January, and Rafa Benitez knows that and is prioritising it, whether a takeover happens or not. Moving on, I mean, talking about strikers, obviously Jocelyn hasn't hit the ground running two goals. He is joint top scorer, I, I may add, um, which says a lot about the Newcastle side, I think. Um, but it's interesting because you can, in a way, draw comparisons to Kieran Clark because when Kieran Clark came in, a lot of people went, uh, you know. What's Rafa doing? Yeah, you know, he was, shall we say, it's awful, too harsh a word for Villa. He wasn't very good at Aston Villa, and that's that the season before he arrived in Newcastle. But, you know, he, he's, he's, well, he may captain his side to, to, to World Cup qualification, Sean. I, I can see the comparison to a set in a sense. Um, I was one of the people who thought I couldn't understand why Newcastle looked say the Kieran Clarke. Had been poor at Aston Villa for a couple of years. He'd been poor at Ireland, poor for Ireland in the Euros. Um, but what I would say is that Clark came Newcastle and made an instant impact. Every time he played, he was impressive. And um, the reaction on social media from the fans, everybody loved him instantly. He quickly turned to uh, change the tide of opinion. Whereas Hosselu now has had a lot of time to kind of make that impact with the supporters, make that impact on the pitch. And I would argue he hasn't done that. If you look at, I mean, a lot, a lot of fans love Mitrovic, and we do these polls quite often. We say, who do you want to start up front? But of the three, Hossley is always, Hossley is always the one who comes in in third place. And yes, he has got time to to change that opinion. But you just feel like he's had a lot of clear cut chances where he's missed them, and fans are quickly losing patience with him. And I think like it's going to be hard for him to turn that round between now and certainly the end of the season Chris I mean what do you think the reason is behind Kieran Clark's revival shall we say you know he has come on leaps and bounds and he is you know he's, he could keep either Lascelles or you know Lejeune out of that side obviously Lascelles is going to be injured um, for Saturday so he'll, you know Clark will start but let's not forget the start of the season it was Lejeune and Kieran Clark were the first, the first choice well, Clark, when he first came in last year, I remember sitting down talking to him and he was talking about the situation at Villa and that it had almost become toxic to a certain extent and that um, the feeling within the dressing room, there was almost a defeatism there and I think that impacted on his own performances as well. He was seen as the bright young lad for a good few years. They never really had the central defensive partner alongside him. I think you could almost draw comparisons with Stephen Taylor at Newcastle during the period when he was coming through getting a lot of injuries but also not really having a settled senior centre-back alongside him to help him really develop at that stage of his career and he's worked working with Rafa Benitez and Rafa Benitez's coaching staff on the training ground has undoubtedly improved him you can see that he's, him and, and Lascelles as a partnership last year so well drilled knew exactly what the other one was going to do and I think the, the fact that they both understood each other so well and knew each other's games knew each other's limitations and he became a bit of a leader in, 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 in the Newcastle side last year, a quiet leader, someone who was, as Sean said, Mr Dependable, consistent, played a crucial role in, in getting them back to the Premier League. And he started the season as first choice alongside Lejeune. Lejeune at that point was seen as a right centre-back. Then, obviously, the injury to Lejeune, Lejeune forced uh, Clark back, to, well, to stay left centre-back and brought the cells back to the team who, who 
came in and proved that he deserved to be back in the team. Eventually, Benitez, I think, still sees Lejeune as his best all-round centre-back. He signed him 8.8 million in the summer. He was one of his the four first-choice players he wanted. Uh, so he was always going to, at some point, get back into the side. And, and Clark was, was slightly un, unfortunate in some regards, but I also think that that privately there, there was a few concerns that he, he, he was lacking the consistency of last season. There was a few times he was caught out of position. Liverpool, obviously, the, he didn't have a great game in that regard. Probably Newcastle was at fault for the goal to a certain extent. Could have been at fault for for when Sturridge had a very good chance. He was completely caught out then, and I think that he's just getting caught sideways a little bit rather than uh, following the ball as he, as he necessarily should do. Him and Lascelles had lost a bit of that partnership, but he came into the side against Bournemouth once Lascelles went off injured. He's likely to start this weekend. I think he'll come straight back into the team. Seems Lascelles is, is a doubt. Um, and Benitez still fully trusts him. He's he's, he's one of Benitez's favourite players because of the fact that he does listen, he he takes on information, he follows specific game plans. Again, like Mitrovic, that's what's sort of counted to a certain extent against Chancellor Bemba. Um, and I think that uh, in the past, if Newcastle lost one of the first choice centre backs, you'd have been extremely worried going away to Man United. But with Kieran Clark slotting in there and, and Lejeune going back to right centre-back, I don't think it necessarily weakens Newcastle too much as well as Lascelles is playing. And that's one area of strength Newcastle do have at the minute. I think I made the point as well when you're talking about um, the impact Clark made in his revival at Newcastle. I, I, I feel I'm, I'm stating the obvious yet, but it's a lot down to Rafa Benitez and his coaching techniques, his methods. I mean, DeAndre Yedden's spoken about it quite a bit mm. where he said that defensive ease came on leaps and bounds since he joined Newcastle and I think well before I worked for the Chronicle I used to do a job where I used to like gather statistics on Newcastle and Sunderland games so I saw quite a bit of Yedden at Sunderland and defensively he looked vulnerable even under Sam Allardyce who's, who's again renowned for his defensive coaching um, and I feel like Yedden's made that made that improvement quite significantly under Benitez, Clark has as well and I feel like it's kind of testament to Rafa and his coaching techniques and the the way and as you say, um, players who listen to him and follow his his instructions they do seem to kind of make that improvement as well. Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of a, a massive reason as to why Kieran Clark's been so successful at Newcastle in comparison to Aston Villa. And the press, I mean, the press box at St James's Park is directly behind where Rafa Benitez stands, and it, it's a, it's amazing to just sit and watch him coach players through games as well, particularly defence. Particularly this season, haven't had Javier Manquillo in the side playing at left back, someone who we know needs to improve his defensive game. But having that inexperience in defence, but you've got you've then got Rafa Benitez basically coaching these players through games. He did it with Led- Yedden last year until he, he grew in confidence. He, do, he does it with Clark. He does it with a lot of players, and and that is it, 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 it is incredible to watch. Really, the manager is able to orchestrate it from the touchline and keep coaching players through and say you should be there you need yeah. to push further forward you need to drop off now and it, it's he it, it is a big asset in that regard and um, it just shows how much that information's got through that away at Swansea when he wasn't there all those coaching staff obviously do follow his way that the players were able to still enact the game plan and defensive discipline because they are so well drilled in that regard Fantastic good luck to Kieran Clark obviously the uh, playoff is tonight against Denmark. It's a quarter to eight kickoff. So if you are listening um, tomorrow, which is Wednesday, um, hopefully we're celebrating Kieran Clark and his teammates um, making it to next year's World Cup. We'll move on to this Saturday's game, evening kickoff down at Old Trafford against Manchester United. Chris, you're looking forward to the journey down there and getting back into the swing of things, I imagine? Yeah, very much looking forward to it. It's actually one of the few. Premier League grounds I haven't yet done that uh, it's there and West Ham I think it's the only one now I haven't done so uh, looking forward to going to Old Trafford and Newcastle themselves will be looking forward to having a game again it's a long international break when you, you end it on a defeat particularly back to back defeats in disappointing fashion and it's going to be a very tough game but at the same time Man United aren't going into it in any sort of great form they're under pressure to perform and it, it, it's the sort of occasion Benitez relishes he away games he we know how well he can he can set up a side, and it's it's almost exactly what Jose Mourinho wouldn't want. And Newcastle side are going to be there and going to be extremely organised. He wants teams to come and have a bit of a go at them and believe that Man United can pick them off. Well, Newcastle will go and try and set up, make sure they get a foothold in the game, and then try and on the counter attack, which is why I think possibly Dwight Gale may get a, a start 
although Benitez does seem pretty set on Hossolu, I think it'll be if particularly if Atu doesn't play, you need someone like Gale to give you a bit of pace on the break. Um, and from set pieces, Newcastle will target them as well and, and, and hope to to get ahead at Old Trafford and, and then defend that. But it's a couple of years ago under Steve McLaren, you were fearing these sort of away games. Uh, saw Newcastle capitulate in 20 minutes against Man City, albeit they'd start extremely well. Probably should have, well, should have been 2-0 up and wrong, had a goal disallowed, but you always feared for them at, at away ground, saw them get taken apart at, at several. Chelsea, another prime example. Whereas under Benitez, you, you think that Newcastle could go anywhere and, and they're going to be extremely solid. Touch wood, not get hammered by anyone because you just don't see them conceding that many goals. But the key is to really add a bit of a cutting edge to, to the opportunities because... They've only got 10 goals in 11 games, as you've already said. They've only got two players who've scored more than one goal and both of them have only got two each in the Premier League. So they need to add uh, greater firepower in terms of start and an end product two games. But I think that they can go there with the belief that they can certainly get a positive result because Man United are under pressure to perform themselves and I think Newcastle can hopefully play on that. I mean, Sean Benitez is the kind of man who sees every game as three points. You know, He will want that win. And it might be Manchester United, it might be Yuan Mata, it might be David De Gea, but he will look at Saturday and think, right, we, you know, we're going to try and get three points here. It's kind of a free hit, isn't it? There's not there's not much pressure on Newcastle going to Manchester United. When they played Burnley and Bournemouth last last uh, two weeks ago, that was a disappointing couple of results. Really, wasn't it? The fans were a bit disappointed. It was a feeling there's an opportunity missed. You go to Man United, the pressure's not on you. We're not expected to get anything there. As Chris says, Raffle have have Newcastle set up really, really strong defensively. You can't see them getting hammered there. If they can get through half-time, get through to 60 minutes and the score still nil-nil, you, you never know. Um, when Newcastle beat Man United at Old Trafford a few years ago, it was kind of a similar situation. They held out, they held out, they held out. They got that chance of goodbye, they scored. Something similar could happen in the weekend. Um, it's, it's probably unlikely. It's going to be a real hard slog, but... As you say, with Rafa Benitez in charge, nothing's really improbable, is it? So, it wasn't it. Was it was Alan Pardew who kind of said, "Oh, like, or was it?" I'm sure it was Alan Pardew who kind of just said, "You know, the big games, we'll take them. We'll not really look to maybe get three points. We'll take what comes out of them." But Benitez is a totally different character. You know, he does not want to lose. Essentially, he doesn't. And I mean, the fact that it's Manchester United and the fact that it's Jose Mourinho as well will only increase Benitez's desire to win. Not that he needs that, but. I mean, Jose and him, as we know, go go back a long way, uh, not in a positive sense. And Manchester United, he had big rivalry with when he was at Liverpool, uh, going head-to-head with them for the title. Um, and he wants to show that he is still that world-class manager, that manager who took Liverpool to the brink of the Premier League title, took them to, the Champions League, to win the Champions League and the FA Cup. And for him, it's not. There's, there's certainly there's never a game where he just writes it off completely. He, he believes that no matter who he's got in his squad, no matter the fact he didn't get the players he wanted in the summer, no matter the fact that it probably is a a, a side who won paper are going to do very well to to secure Premier League status this year. Although I believe there will Rafa Benitez there, he thinks they should be going to Old Trafford and looking to get minimum a draw, but really targeting a win. Um, but the way that Benitez does that, particularly with the, the limited resources he has, is to set a firm base and then build from there and Newcastle have managed to set a firm base throughout the majority of the season but then they haven't taken their chances they've got to, they're going to have to be clinical at Old Trafford because if they're not clinical then they won't get anything out of the game we'll see a few injuries to contend with Lascelles looks like he'll be missing uh, Reno will be missing and the other person Christian Atsu also so we'll start with Atsu um, Jacob Murphy Rolando Owens coming in do you reckon Sean? I'd imagine it'll be Jacob Murphy. He's, he's been on the bench, hasn't he? Um, he seems like he's the next in line. Um, he's got a point to prove, hasn't he? he every time, I mean, he's been given minimal chances, but when he came on the pitch, he's, he's, he's looked a bit. It's, it's harsh to say, but sometimes out of his depth. But yeah, as, as I've just said there, he hasn't had that opportunity. He's had one full game against Swansea. Um, what better time than the previous health than to play against Manchester United? It's, it's a huge stage at Old Trafford. As I said before, the pressure wouldn't necessarily be on Newcastle. If he can express himself, you never know, he could have, he could impress. Um, personally, I'd like to see Rolando Aaron's given a chance, but I think Raphael go with Murphy. As Chris was saying before, he seems like Murphy will follow Raphael's instructions more than Aaron's. He clearly trusts Murphy more than Aaron's. Murphy's his man, he's brought him in in the summer. 
So it's a big opportunity for Jacob Murphy, and I imagine he'll start on the left wing. But Orlando Aarons did make quite a statement, didn't he? I know uh, Oldham absolutely trounced uh, the twenty ones, I think it was yeah, in the, in the checker trade trophy last week. Um, yes, yes, I got the words out eventually there. But um, Aaron scored, came out and said, "Look, I'm I'm ready to play. I want to I want to take my chance when I'm given it." You know, his speed is is something to behold. When when he gets going and he gets moving, we saw it in pre-season. I remember against um, Verona and the people around were just saying, "How fast is this kid?" And we, we've seen it before. He's had his injuries, but you know, a fit Rolando Aaron's is is. Is, is a scary prospect for a defending uh, team. It is, and we haven't seen enough of Rolando Aarons through injury and various other reasons. I think he's only started four Premier League games in his or four league games, I think it is, in his, his career so far. Um, and it would be nice to see a lot more of him. It would be a big call for Benitez to, to, to bring him in from nowhere, really, because <coughs> he hasn't even been on the bench a lot of weeks to suddenly start at Old Trafford. But at the same time, as Sean says, Jacob Murphy looks low on confidence at the minute. So Benitez has a call there if he is just going to go leg for leg and bring one of those two in as to whether he wants to, to see if, if, if Jacob Murphy could really grasp his opportunity and on, at a huge stage at, at Old Trafford or whether he goes for the man who looks like he could be in form, albeit for the under-21s, in Rolando Ahrens. I suppose there are other options for Benitez. He could even go three in midfield and bring Perez back into the side as one of the front three of Richie, whichever striker he decides to go with Perez and then have... A, th- a three in the middle, but without without Diarm, I uh, would sorry without Marino, that becomes difficult because he ain't have to go either the Army, although you could argue he can have a bit of bulk in there. Although Newcastle fans probably wouldn't be overly positive about that. You could even bring Henri Savé in there, could switch things up and play wing backs, although it would be a big gamble to play at Man United for the first time. So I think there probably will be one of those two. If you were to push me, like Sean, I think you'd probably go Murphy and then have Aaron's on the bench. I think Aaron's would be a great option off the bench, won't he? As we were saying before, Rafa's going to go there, build build from the base where we don't concede and hopefully, as you say, we get the chances to take them. Um, Roland Aaron's, you, you mentioned there, Andrew, his, his pace is frightening. He can create something out of nothing. He's a skillful player. He scored for the under-21s. 20, under he is match fit. I just think that Murphy will stick to the system more if they can get to a point where it gets to 65, 70 minutes. You need that game changer. Rolando Aarons is the perfect option from the bench. I'm, I'm a fan of Henri Sarri. I'd love to see him get the chance. You know, The fact he's worked his way back into the first team thinking, OK, you could say, yes, there's been injuries and suspensions and what have you. But let's not forget, in the summer, he was one of those cast aside to the under-23s. And now he is on the verge of, you know, the squad he's been in the, against Burnley. He was there. You know, it's testament to him to to the hard work he's done to, to force his way back in. Certainly testament. I mean, last summer, not as in the summer of 2016, he was available for transfer. He would have been available for transfer in the summer as well. As you say, he went to train with the under-23s, along with the likes of, of, of Tim Krull and others. He kept his head down in a, in a position where Benitez thinks he needed a bit more depth. He didn't get the depth he necessarily wanted. He only managed to sign Marino as a, as a midfield, somewhat to strengthen the midfield. And, uh, he, he certainly he is a bit of a different option. I mean, he even played in pre-season. He played uh, holding midfield. He played number ten. He played uh, out wide on one game. And he even played centre back. So, in that sense, I suppose there's a versatility there. Although I'm sure Benitez would rather not play him in any of those positions because he's not someone he necessarily wanted. But the fact that again he's someone who he's worked hard. He, he has kept his head down. Uh, he hasn't tried to rock the boat. And he, he is that versatile option that, that Newcastle perhaps will need if, the, if there is a bit of an injury crisis. So, um, yeah, it is. It, I don't see him playing much going forward, but he could, he's, he's a versatile option to have on the bench and someone covering a few different positions. And uh, until Benitez does get overhaul the squad and, and make it Premier League quality as he wants to, he could have a, a role to play. No, I'm not going to labour the point about Mbemba, but I assume both of you will be seeing Kieran Clark. Um, as long as he gets through the Knight of Rights and Lejeune are the centre back pairing. Yeah. 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 And in the midfield, Hayden and Shelby will be the, the pairing there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Benitez will revert back to 4 2 3 1. It was interesting. I spoke to him about 4 4 2 last week, asked him about it, and he said he actually wasn't overly unhappy with it. He thought he could, he could envision playing it in the future, but I don't see him starting with it away from home. He even said, as I think a few of us have pointed out, so already this season defensively Newcastle particularly away from home almost play 4-4-2 anyway Perez becomes a second striker it's two banks of four with those two up front so um, I think that he's likely to revert back to 4-2-3-1 
and then it'll probably be Murphy or Ahrens will come in on the left wing and you, you keep Shelby and, and Hayden uh, in the middle because he drops his number you know and I always he keeps his keeps his keeps his place for you guys I think he'll come in yeah there's, there's no real alternative is if he's going to play 4-2-3-1 the only other player you can play there is Diarmi and he didn't impress at all at Burnley did he as much as the fans clearly have the reservations and Perez there's not an alternative so he's got to come in I think that the, the, without Atsu Newcastle are going to lack a bit of pace which is why I think he's going to have to bring I think he probably he's going to have the choice of whether to start Gale and give him a bit of pace but also he's going to have to bring one of those two wingers at the side because yeah. without Atsu Yes, you've got Yedlin potentially time from fullback, but you, you're very limited on the counter attack, and Newcastle are going to have to rely on that probably way of Man United. Brilliant stuff. Um, predictions then? I'm going to go for 1 1 draw. Sean? Silence, he's thinking about it, he's thinking about it hard. I just think Man United have a bit too much quality. I think they'll be 2 0 Man United. <clears throat> 2 0 Man United, that's going to mean Craig Johns will be exceptionally happy. <laughs> And for you, Chris? My head is telling me Man United win, but I'm going to go nils each. I think Newcastle can go there and, and, and stifle Man United and, and nick a draw. Fantastic. I, that, that's, yeah, that's a bit of optimism about. Um, brilliant stuff. Well, I just want to remind you guys um, to pick your greatest Newcastle United team from the last 125 years. You can do that on chroniclelive.co.uk. Um, us three have all done it it was quite a difficult one we'll be speaking to Chris later this week about his his side a few um, interesting uh, inclusions and a few um, difficult exclusions is that the right word? difficult decisions yeah, I yeah, think that's right. it is the right word yeah but we want you guys obviously the listeners to, to do that as well you can send um, your team in there's a form in the Chronicle and then the paper version obviously do it online as well um, or, you, know, you can find all that on the website chroniclelive.co.uk and we'll be back um, next week hopefully with at least a point from Old Trafford so uh, yeah stick with chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news thank you very much for listening please remember to like subscribe and share the podcast whether that be through iTunes Audio Boom, Spotify or whichever platform you may be listening through and if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do so via our social media channels. We're over on Twitter at Chronicle NUFC and on Facebook at the same handle, Chronicle NUFC. We want your questions, your topics, your feedbacks. So why don't you drop us a line and get in touch?